All right. So, yeah, so I, I'll introduce uh, myself. So first I want to begin by, uh, by thanking the Rosh Kolo uh, for the inspiration and for all of what uh, he does for us in the, in the Kolo, the guidance, the leadership. Uh, something for me personally, uh, you know, goes back many, many years. Uh, since I was a Bachar, came back from Eretz Yisrael. So I appreciate that uh, very much and the opportunity to be able to, uh, to thank him publicly. And also, um, Shmuley, wherever he is, for all that he does for the call, making sure that we're running day-to-day and everything which, uh, which goes very smoothly and uh, appreciate that. And uh, the younger light who are here who continue to inspire me and uh, get me up in the morning every day so I have something, uh, something to do. So I appreciate uh, that. Uh, so I want to share a shayla. I think uh, the Rosh Kola actually brought it in. But it's something which is worthwhile because it gives us an opportunity to focus our attention on one of the halachas which are relevant, one of the halachas which is pretty nogea, pretty relevant, and to see some of the issues in that. And we'll see a little bit about exactly how psak in halacha lamaisa works, specifically in the realm of choshemish, but as opposed to what many people may be more familiar with in terms of archaim and yoradea. But hopefully we'll get to that uh, by the end, hopefully before 1218. Okay, so the shaila was... That, uh, that a uh, young girl back from seminary, so uh, she was looking for a job to make some money while she was here, uh, while, she's, uh, while she's in the States, before she moves on to whatever the next stage of her life is. And she found a job at, uh, at a high school, and they were going to pay her whatever it was going to be, and she was all excited to, uh, to do so. She signs a contract, and she's going to begin in the fall when the, the school year begins. Sometime shortly after that, so uh, she finds out that there's a job, there's a position which is available, also I think a secretarial position, doesn't really make a difference in details, we'll change the details to make the shila. But uh, she found another jo- secretarial position, which not only paid somewhat of a comparable salary, but it also allowed her to be able to get free tuition for the college that she would be. So obviously that's a, a major savings, going from just a job to a job plus a college tuition. So that would be the number that I wrote down in my notes over here. It was $20,000 worth of college tuition. So that obviously is a major difference. But she had signed a contract with the high school. The high school was bank- banking on her, was relying on her, that she was going to be the secretary, I think, in the afternoon or something like that. And they were really expecting her to be there. They have, we're not, this is not really going to be part of the Shiloh, but they have a unique schedule, which is different than most of the other schools. So it's a little bit of a challenge for them to find somebody to fill the time slot that they needed. And obviously they were thrilled that they found somebody who was available to do that. And that's, as schools go, that's one uh, headache that they don't have on their mind throughout the, uh, throughout the summer. So she wanted to know, is she allowed to tell the high school, listen... I got this other offer. It's a, it's a better offer for me. It's going to save, uh, it'll save my parents $20,000 a year in, uh, in tuition costs, and I'm going to go ahead and take that job. Or do we say, now listen, you signed a contract. You, may, you made a commitment. They're relying on you. Once you uh, signed a contract, you're locked in, and there's nothing you can do to, uh, to, uh, to back out, short of you know, asking them nicely, do you mind if I, you know, uh, releasing me from my contract? Do you mind releasing me to be able to take this other job? But short of that, maybe the school has the upper hand and would be able to say, absolutely not. You, uh, you signed a contract, you are locked in. Rule number two of Chosha Mishpat, too bad, so sad. Okay, so that was the, uh, the Shiloh. So now as a secretary, so the assumption is, I think it's a safe assumption, that she's going to be paid an hourly rate. Whatever it's going to be, $15 an hour, $20 an hour, I don't know exactly what they would get paid, but she's going to get paid an hourly rate, which puts her in the category of a Skiryon. So she's not a cobbler, she's not somebody who's an independent contractor who has a job to do, some task to complete. She sits in the office, she answers the phone, she does whatever it is that the administrators or the principal, the head of school, instructs her to do, and that's going to be, uh, that's going to be her job. 
So this, at first glance, gives her an advantage. Because we know, hopefully we got to it, but if not, we'll get to it now. So if, but it's, uh, it's well known that in Simon Shin Lama Gimel, see... My heart. So in Shin Lama Gimel, Siv Gimel says, Hiska Po'a if a Po'el, meaning a Skiryom, begins a job, the Chazerbo Yom, and then the Po'el decides to walk out in the middle of the day, Choser, so they have the ability to do so. The wire in my car does the same thing. So Choser, <laughs> indeed, too bad. So Choser, <laughs> so you could be Choser. Afilu kibal kvar demeskiruso. Amazing halacha that even in the event that the employee was prepaid, don't know why they were prepaid, but even if in the event that they were prepaid for the entire day, the allowance to quit means that they could quit even though that now means that they have money that they, uh, that they don't deserve. Ah, they're going to have to pay that back, obviously. But it says, Even if they already spent that money, and they don't have the money on hand to repay the balabais, which means they got paid for half a day's work, which they didn't even do, and they can't pay back the balabais, still, that allowed the employee, the Yom is allowed to quit. Vamos chovalov. And the money is going to be a debt. So they now owe the Balabayas money, but uh, that's, uh, that, that's the allowance that the Torah gives. Shinemra says, Because Kaddish Baruch Hu says that are my Avadim, they are my slaves, and they're not intended to be slaves to slaves, meaning slaves to human beings. And therefore, this allows a Poel to go ahead and quit in the middle of the day. So if we just look at that halakha, we say, okay, sure. So this woman is, uh, this uh, girl is ready to go. She could quit because she says, I'm a schir yom. Schir yom is able to be choser v'chatzi hayom. And uh, everything is going to, uh, everything is fine. But she didn't even start yet. She didn't start yet. That may, could also be a factor. Good. We'll get to that, I hope, eventually, before 1218. We're going to see. That's, that's all we have. That's the shir. Okay, so now there happens to be machlokas whether the allowance to quit is dorais or dorabanan, just for academic purposes, so you should know. The Sma indicates that it's something which is only dorabanan, that Chazal enacted that, that somebody is able to, that a Pole is able to quit in the middle of the day, and they link it to the Pasuk, but the Pasuk is just an asmachta. The Ritvan Bab Metziah seems to say that it's going to be a doraisa, it's a gzera which allows her to, uh, which allows the employee to go ahead and, and quit. And they say, based on what we're, we'll see in a moment, but they bring his, his Uriah, some uh, post can bring his Uriah, that the very fact that the Ritva says, uh, which we'll see shortly, that even if a Kenyan was made, that a person, not like the Ritva, we'll say those who disagree with the Ritva and say even if a Kenyan was made, that one is going to be allowed to quit. So the only reason that that would be so is the fact that the allowance to quit is a Doraisa. So it's Torah mandate that a Skiryom is allowed to quit, and therefore nothing is going to be able to overwhelm or overpower that Daraisa, and the allowance to quit, the, the Kenyan which is made, isn't strong enough to overcome the Daraisa rights which a Skiryom has to quit, and therefore, okay. But that's that academic thing. So now, one thing before we get into the, the meat of this is that the allowance to quit, whether or not the, the allowance to quit means, yes, it's motor l'chatchila, or allowance to quit, that a poll just means that if they do so, it's effective, but not necessarily that it's a good thing, so that itself is a machlokas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they negotiated everything. They negotiated, they negotiated everything. A contract was signed 
Always good. She filled the government forms for uh, you know, her W-2 or 1099, all that's, uh, ready, all that's ready to go. Yes, yes. And we're assuming that the contract was not a Kenyan? Uh, no, the contract may be a Kenyan. Pasha's to give me a Kenyan. So there's so there, there's, there's a concept in halacha, also an important concept to be aware of, called mechusar amana. Mechusar amana is when a person makes some sort of verbal commitment to either make a Kenyan or something along those lines. And once a person makes a commitment and there's a meeting of the minds, no money changed hands, no merchandise changed hands whatsoever, but the two parties made a verbal agreement about something. I will sell you this car. I will sell, sell you whatever it happens, uh, what happens to be. So at that point, the two parties are locked in in terms of a gentleman's agreement. And if either one of them backs out, they're considered to be mechusar amana. They're lacking trustworthiness. They're not looked upon fondly by, uh, by Chazal. You may decide you're not going to give them after Yonah. Whatever exactly the, the consequence is going to be, but it's not a good thing to go ahead and be mechusar amana. And Poskim disagree whether or not this allowance of does that mean that yes, if they quit, it's effective they could do so, but they're still considered to be it's still considered to be lacking in, in, in gentleman kite, if you go ahead and you know, put that uh, word together, it's, it's lacking in, in, in trustworthiness, or does the Torah's allowance, or Chazal's allowance to quit, does that say you're allowed to quit, and it's not even considered to be not trustworthy to go ahead and do so, because since Chazal, the Torah allows you to go ahead and quit, so you don't, there's no, uh, there's no uh, consequences for that whatsoever. Even if the Torah does allow, let's say the Torah does allow, it's still the guy's going to get a bad reputation anyway. Yeah, yeah, so uh, as with all things in Choshimish, the important thing to realize is, is that there are, what Halach allows you to do, there are your rights, and then there is the seichaldik thing to do. And not necessarily do, is exercising every right that you have a seichaldik thing to do. So that's a different consideration that you'll have to call your local Orthodox rabbi and find out whether it was, it's a smart thing to do or not, but that's a, that's a different, uh, different child. I don't get paid enough money for that. Now, on, on that idea of whether mechus ramana, so the nachas tzvi, Piste Chuvas, another one of his farm. So he quotes, we'll just go to the, the Knesset Yechezka was asked, was asked to Shiloh. And this is something which I guess used to be typical in those times that a Rav takes a position in a small town and signs a long term contract. That's what happened. So that's, uh, you know, somebody just out of yeshiva just got smicha, so you start off in some small community somewhere before you move on to the, uh, to the big city. So the Rav goes ahead and signs a contract with this, uh, small, uh, this small town. And two years, let's say, into his three-year contract, he gets an offer in the big city, whatever the big city happens to be, Hobbitsville. We'll go ahead and we'll call it. So is he allowed to go ahead and be chozer? Is he allowed to back out on the small town and say, listen, I got a job in the bigger city. I'm uh, moving, to the, uh, moving on up. I'm going to the, uh, to the big city, and I'm going I'm gonna, to I'm gonna go on. Yes. So the, uh, so the question is, would that be Mechus Because he made a commitment that that's what he, that he was going to be there for three years or so. And now in the middle of that, he's walking out and he's going to move to the big city. Is that something which is inappropriate? Can they tell him, listen, you made a commitment to us, so you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to leave. So Knesset Yechezkel says there's two reasons. He gives two rationales why it is that the Rav, going from the small village to the big city, is not considered to be Mechus it's very, uh, it's very seicheldik, but it's something which is, it's an interesting way of looking at things, the, the interesting approach which he makes. He says, number one is, he says that every small town knows that they're not going to be able to keep their rav long term. 
the Rav is a good Rav. They know for sure they're not going to be able to do so long term. And they know that what they're doing is this is a starter position for the Rav just out of, uh, you know, uh, out of yeshiva, just out of smicha, just wherever it happens to be. This is where he's going to be. Sometimes in the small towns, put it in the in 20th century, 21st century, until the kids reach a certain age. And once the kids reach a certain age, then we cannot stay in Wyoming anymore. We can't stay in North Dakota anymore. We have to go to a city where there'll be a better chinuch for our children. So they know that he's not going to stay long term. And they understand that he's going to quit in the middle. Because, and if they don't have that understanding, that they're going to bring somebody in, and as long as he's there, good, but at some point he's going to move on, then nobody coming out of yeshiva will ever take a job in a small city. Because who wants to take a job in a small town knowing that I'm locked in for a period of time, and even when I'm good enough and I'm ready to move on to a big city, they're going to stop me from doing so. I would never take the position. That's the Seichel Dick part. I would never do so. And then the small town will never be able to get her off because nobody will be willing to subject themselves to that. It's not. It's like an umdur. What's the point of the contract? They could. They, they could have. They're hoping to keep him long in the event they doesn't find anything. So this. Uh, so hopefully we'll go for this long. But if they know that's going to be the middle, why don't they just say instead of making a fine, we're making two year, and after that we'll find you. Well, they they they, 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 they don't want to have to even negotiate <laughs> after two. <laughs> no, the rub doesn't want. The rub wants a five year contract. The rub wants a five year contract. The rub wants a lifetime contract. He wants it. Just because the rub wants a five year contract, he wants to find a big city. As I said, as I said to my chavrusa the uh, j- just uh, the other day, and I tell to my dafyomi guys all the time when they ask me a question like that, said in shas we don't ask why somebody did what they did. We just deal with the consequences of what exactly they did, and then that's where we uh, go in halacha. Why they did it, I, I, I have no idea. So why they're doing a contract when he's going to quit in the middle? That that that's not my uh, that, that, uh, that's not my concern. So that's that's number one. That's point number one that the Knesset Yechezko makes. Point number two, he says, is that for a small town to accept upon themselves the responsibility of supporting a Rav, and that's going to be his full-time job, and it's going to be full support for his family, so that's what we call a Matana Meruba. For a small town where there's very limited resources, so they can't really afford the Rav, and they're going to scrape here and there and see if they could put it together month by month, year by year, whatever it's going to be. But in the halachas of Mechus Armana, so not only if you and I agree to engage in a business transaction, and we negotiated all of the terms, it would backing out be Mechus Armana, but if I commit to give you a gift, and then I back out, that's also Mechus Armana. But that's qualified with only if I promise to give you a small gift, which is reasonable that I could actually give you, if I promise to give you a large gift, a matana meruba, and it's subjective, what's considered to be small and what's considered to be large, but if I commit to give you a large gift, you never really expect that you're going to get it. Because you know that it's absurd, I can't afford such a thing. And when I made the commitment in the first place, you knew and I knew, and wink and a nod and everything that's going to be, that we're not actually going to be able to carry that out. So the Knesset Sechesko says that when a, a small town commits to hire a Rav for three years, five years, whatever it's going to be, and give them full support, they can't really afford that. They're just going to try their best, hope for the best, and see if they go ahead and do it. But there was never a smichas das, there was never a real reliance between the parties that they were going to be able to make good on their commitment. And therefore, since it was understood that there was never a clear commitment that, that they could definitively follow up on, so that means the whole, the whole sugya of Mechus Ramana doesn't even begin. Correct. Right. So but it seems to me I recall that if the contract has elements within it which at its outset are incorrect or false, the contract is void. 
Uh, yeah, so I don't know if this, this is coming to... This is only during the Mechos Ramana part. This, I don't think that, that, that anybody that they would be able to back out of the, the... You know, for other reasons, back out of the contract. I think it's limited to this. Okay, so now, so let's get back to, the, uh, to this, uh, this girl over here who's waiting on the phone for an answer for her, uh, her Shiloh. Um, so she was so is she allowed to quit? So the halacha says, Shulchan Aruch says that Paul is chosen chatsayom. She could go ahead and back out. The issue is, which one of you uh, mentioned already, is the fact that they made a kinyan. A kinyan meaning when they signed the contract, the contract is a kinyan. Once you go, once the two parties make a kinyan as far as the employment agreement is concerned, so now this opens us up to a major debate amongst the poskim. The shach, oh, right over there on Sif Gimel, Sif Katan Yudalad, quotes the ritva. The rich was of the opinion that it's true that Paul is chosen b'chatzayom, that an employee is allowed to back out, stir yom is allowed to back out in the middle of the day, but if a kinyan was made, if the two parties made a kinyan regarding the employment agreement, then the poll is not going to be able to back out. The allowance is in the absence of a kinyan, but in the event that there is a kinyan, so you'd be allowed to go ahead and back out. Many other posts can disagree. Many of the other posts can disagree, and they say it doesn't make a difference whether there is a kinyan, whether there's not a kinyan. Either way, you're going to back out. One of the rayas that they bring is the fact that, that within the realm, within the, the discussion of schiras poalim, there's such a thing called the kinyan of haschalas malacha. That when the two parties, the employer and the employee, negotiate an employment agreement, and then the employee shows up to work the first day, even if they didn't sign a contract, they didn't shake hands, they didn't do any of that stuff. Just they negotiated the terms. The employee shows up the first day and begins working, even if they begin driving to, uh, to work, but they, the, the employment begins. So that creates a Kenyan, whatever, however will be mobbed to that, but that creates a Kenyan. And then at that point, they can't back out. Each one is, is bound by, by, the, uh, by the agreement, that, which is the Kenyan. So just like if Haschalas Malacha, which is a Kenyan, and yet the Skir Yom is allowed to back out, so the fact that you signed a contract on top of that doesn't, make it any, doesn't necessarily make it any worse. So that's what the, that's what the other postgame disagree about, whether or not there is, whether a Kenyan is going to have impact or not. I saw the Mishpat HaChoshim brings down from Samachronim, they say that the Ritva also agrees in theory, he agrees with the other postgame in theory, that, that a poll is Choser B'chatzei Yom under all circumstances. Even if there's a Kenyan, a pole is closer to So why does the Ritva say that the, once a contract is signed, a Kenyan is made, that the pole is locked in? He said their, their obligation is specifically Kenyan-related rather than employment-related. You made a Kenyan which obligates you to complete the job, but when you complete the job because of the Kenyan, you're not considered to be a poel. You're not considered to be an employee of your employer at that moment. You're a person who just has an obligation to perform a task. What's the difference whether we put a label on you, whether your name tag says Gershon Shaffel employee, or whether it says Gershon Shaffel Kenyan? The difference is the halach of Yad Pol Kiyad Balabayas. So a certain halacha is where we say that the poel is an extension of the balabayas. So that only works in the event that on his name tag it says employee. So if he's an employee, then his hands are an alter ego. They're an extension of the employer himself. But in the event that his chayvus is not as an employee, because the Torah allows him to quit, he's, but he has a chiv to finish a job simply because he made a kinyan, so then you would not say, Yad Paul Kiyad Balabayas, and whatever those halachas are, they would, not, uh, they would not be relevant. There's other things also, whether you could pay in Shavah Kesef, there's all sorts of uh, nafkaminas, whether somebody's considered to be an employee or they're getting paid for some other reason, but that would be a nafkamina be, be, uh, between them. 
And so that is one thing. So over here, where this girl went ahead and she made a Kenyan with the school, she signed a contract. So maybe, like the Ritva, maybe we'd say she's not allowed to quit. She's locked into the job. She made, the, she made a Kenyan and she's, she's going to be stuck. So that's one point of consideration which may be working against her. Now there's another thing. And that is that which also I think uh, somebody mentioned over here, Rabbi Siegel, I think, mentioned over here, which was the idea that the, the whole the whole drasha which we say over here is ki libidei yisrael avadim, uh, and we say v'lo avadim la avadim. Klayus are supposed to be my avadim, and rather than avadim to avadim. So some poskim are of the opinion that that allows a poel to quit when he says, you know what, I'm done working for other people. I don't want the I don't want the big man the man telling me what to do anymore. Power to the people and all that, that that stuff, and I don't want to have anything to do with employers. And he just quits and he doesn't want to work. He wants to sit on the beach and just watch the waves come by. Time to just meditate all day long. So if the guy decides he wants to meditate rather than work for the man, the Torah says, "Okay, you're allowed to go ahead and quit in that case." But to quit in order to become an evet to another employer. So who says you're allowed to? So if you're going to be an employee anyways, you're going to be an evid to somebody else, so why would the Torah say, yes, you don't like your employer, you don't like the way he's treating you, don't, you don't like the way he looked at you today, so therefore you're going to quit by him and you're going to go work by somebody else. So how is that just? Well, how does that accomplish or achieve the intention of the Pasuk of Kilibidei Yisrael Avadim, that we're supposed to be Avadim, Baruch Hu, and not to man. If I quit one employer for another employer, I didn't accomplish anything. I'm still, I'm right there in evid. You could be a happier I could be happier, Evan. Right, but that, that's not really what the, it says, that you could quit in order to be a happier, Evan. So this is something which is discussed by the Chavis Yair. The Chavis Yair raises the Pizchei Chuvah, brings it down. But the Chavis Yair writes, I won't frame the way he poses the question, but ultimately he rejects this idea, this notion that you should not be able to quit in order to be able to go to another employer. He actually holds that you are allowed to quit from one employer in order to take what you think is a better job. The grass is green over there, but you know, usually not. So he says, the reason why is, along the lines of what you're saying, he says, So he says, this drasha, so we look at the, 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 the premise of the question is, we're looking at it from the perspective of the rights of the employee. Do I have the right to quit if I'm going to go ahead and become an avid by somebody else? So similarly we say that if the whole thing is, is to exercise my rights to not be an Evid, so why should I be able to exercise that to become an Evid by somebody else? That doesn't make any sense. So Chavazir says that we're looking at it, we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. What this means is, is that you, employer, cannot have such a strong Kenyan, such a strong bilus over me that I, as employee, if I decide to quit, I'm going to lose out as a result. So it has nothing to do with my rights per se. This drasha, means that you don't have authority over me. And therefore, how do we exercise this? Uh, what's the manifestation of this idea that you can't exercise authority over me? My right to quit. And just because I'm going to quit and I'm going to go work by somebody else, that's consistent with what the Torah's intention is, is that you should not be able to exercise authority over me. So it's not so much whether I'm a slave or whether I'm not a slave, it's that you can't be my slave master. 
That's the way the Chavas Yar understands the, the nature of the drasha. And therefore, the fact that I'm going to quit one employer and go to another employer, that's none of your business. The bottom line is, you cannot force me to do something against my will, because you cannot be my Adon, only Akash Baruch Hu is my Adon, and that's it. And he says, well, It has nothing at all to do with the fact that I don't, whether I do want to be an Eved or I don't want to be an Eved, that is nothing at all. Okay, whatever he goes out to say. So, but that is another issue which is, uh, which is important to, uh, to keep in mind. There, there may be, this could potentially work against her because there is a machokas about this. There are posts who say that the allowance to quit is only if you're going to give up employment altogether. You'll, go, you'll become self-employed or you're just going to smoke marijuana on the beach from now on and just uh, you know, have the government take care of you and uh, you know, provide you with marijuana on top of it. Why not? So we'll go ahead and we'll just, it's, it's an easier life uh, that way. So that may ultimately work against her. Then the Chavis Yar in that same tshuva in Kuvav, he entertains another idea. And he says that it may very well be that the allowance of to say that a slave is able to be that may apply only to men. Men, her employees, have the right to quit, but a woman who's an employee would not have those same rights. Why do we differentiate between a man and a woman? What's, uh, what's going on? So he gives three reasons. Three reasons why we could actually entertain the possibility that the right of a skir yom to quit in the middle of the day does not include women who are employees. He says the first one is, he says, So men who are obligated in all of the mitzvahs, so by, by hiring himself out, like we talked, like the Rosh Kol talked about the other day, that once he's an employee, he's going to put limitations on his kiyom mitzvahs. So the EF mitzvahs to say bismano, he may not be able to daven shachris with a minion, he may not be able to say a full benching, he may not be able to do all sorts of things. So being that, uh, serving as an employee is going to restrict his avodas Hashem, so therefore he has the right to quit because HaGosh Baruch Hu says, you're supposed to be serving me, you're not serving this guy. I want you to daven shachos with the minion. I want you to hear Kriya Satora. I want you to uh, bench a full benching. And I don't want this yutz telling you that you're not allowed to do so. So for men, that will be an allowance. Masha'en ken isha. Women, anyways, are exempt from mitzvah say shazman grama. So the fact that she's working for somebody by quitting, that doesn't increase her mitzvah performance at all. So maybe the whole premise of the fact that kili b'nei Yisrael avadim is only uh, is only because there's this conflict or this this tension between what Kadosh Baruch Hu wants from an individual and what the adon is going to allow him to do. So we free him from the adon's master. Mastery in order to be able to serve Hakadosh Baruch in order to be able to serve, serve Hashem. For a woman, that doesn't apply. It doesn't apply to the same degree, and therefore, maybe a woman would not be able to quit. She wouldn't be able to invoke it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because Yeah, whatever. I mean, Mishabur says Anyways, whatever it's going to be. She wants to say Tikkun Chatzot in the middle of the day during the during three weeks. And then he says, um, he says also, he says, an interesting thing that since the whole, the whole basis of this is this idea of the, the parallel which we draw between a Sfer Yom and an Eved, and somebody who's a, that, it's a, that it's a little bit of Avdus. So he says a Sfer Yom could hire himself out the same way an Eved, a male slave, could go ahead and sell himself into slavery. 
So being that, you could sell yourself as an employee and you could sell yourself into slavery. So there's this parallel between the, the two things of being an employee versus being a slave. It says the shivcha doesn't, there's no, there's no such thing as the Ramban who disagrees, but the, the Pashas in the, in the, from, the, from Chazal and from the Rishonim, a, a woman cannot sell herself into being a shivcha knanis. So when a woman agrees to be an employee, there is no parallel avdus, which we say, oh, what she just did is reminiscent of her shifcha hood, and therefore, since she's not allowed to be a shifcha to another person, therefore, we're going to release, we're going to give her this option to go ahead and quit, since that doesn't exist, so therefore, uh, you could say that the allowance to quit does not extend to women. And then the last thing he says, which was one of the most fascinating ones, because I still still haven't figured out uh, in Shas, when we make this drasha or not, but he says, Because there are times when Chazal make the drasha, Now, I don't know yet. Right? Masculine is, is gender neutral in the Torah. But every once in a while, Chazal come along and say, I don't know when, they, when yes and when no. I don't know exactly how that, uh, how that works, but he entertains that possibility that since this drasha is built on the words, so maybe it applies only to men and not to women. But ultimately he says that he says He says being that I'm the Chavis Yar who's pretty late in the game in terms of Chazal in Geonim and Rishonim and earlier Achronim and nobody made this chilek nobody drew this distinction as of yet to differentiate between men and women so he says my Svaras as much as I like my Svaras but nonetheless, I can't go ahead and create a new halacha out of svaras, which I'm making up, which I don't have any precedent for in any earlier sources whatsoever. So therefore, he, uh, he, uh, he, re- he rejects it. Okay. Now, uh, the last thing... Uh, oh, I, sh- I should mention that... Uh, okay. Yeah. Now, the last thing is whether or not a person is going to... Another rationale which you find is whether or not a person is allowed to quit when the job that they have is clay kodesh. Because the whole, the whole rationale is ki li that I want you to serve me, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and not serve other people. If your job involves clay kodesh, you are serving klal Yisrael, you're serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the, in, in the nature, in the character of your employment, so maybe that's not an allowance to go ahead and quit because... You are serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The only reason to quit is so you can be a servant of Hashem. If your job involves serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so maybe you should be allowed to go ahead and do so. And there's another tshuva of the Chavis Yar where he addresses this, this issue. And the issue over there was a chazan. Do we have any chazan? Anybody who's a chazan? I hope not. Okay, good. Then, then we could read this line from the Chavis Yar about, about a chazan. <laughs> I should really take it off the tape, but he, he writes this. He can say, it's in Simon Kofnam, in case you want to go check, uh, check it up and make sure that I'm reading it correctly. He says, just to dig on Chazan for no particular reason. He says, People who are Chazanim, generally, they're not really so capable in business. And they're not really capable of anything. <laughs> they, just they just can't. And therefore, they can't do business, they can't get a job, they can't do anything else, so therefore they have no choice, they become a chazan. So that's usually what's, what's going on with them. Okay, I don't know what, what he had against chazan. i look up some history of the Chavis Yar. But he says, but he entertains this possibility that... Um, right, he says, Mashi'enke chazan. Shakol Atzo Eino Rak Lahotzi Tzibur Lo Avdo Bapalchen Haroi. 
He says the whole job of the Chazan is to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu by davening out loud and being motzi, those people who need to be yotze with his tefillahs. So his whole employment is the fact that he's doing Avodah Hashem. That's all he does. He's contrasting this. It's interesting. The Chavazar contrasts this with the Rebbe. A Rebbe, he says, isn't in the same category as a Chazan as far as this is concerned because, as we know, Chazal say that what's the, a Rebbe isn't like, you're not allowed to take money to teach Torah. Right? So, why, so how do we get around paying uh, Rebbeim for their job? So he says, he says, number one is you get paid to discipline the kids, keep them in their seats rather than running in the halls. Upiske tamim. And the trap or whatever you're going to say, breaking down the Pasuk, learning how to do Shirashim and stuff like that. De'ena mitzvah Hashem v'avodah is those elements of keeping the kids safe and keeping them in their desks, the discipline part of it, the, the, the classroom management, that's not part of teaching Torah. So the Rebbe really gets paid as a glorified babysitter in the actual teaching which he does, so he's actually not, get, he's actually not getting paid for that. So a Rebbe, you could say, he actually is getting paid for something outside of avodah Hashem, and therefore he may be able to quit in the middle because he fits into the regular parameters of but he says the chazan or somebody whose job is exclusively avodas Hashem that's all their job entails is just avodas Hashem so it may very well be that they're, that they're not allowed to quit because they are serving Hashem the only allowance to quit is to get rid of your human master to serve Hashem and these guys are serving Hashem so why should they be able to quit? what? <laughs> I can't hear from this side of my ear, sorry. <laughs> so, but he, he does say a nice thing, just to get, get us out of uh, criticizing Rebbeim and Rabbanim. So he says, Mikom Makom, he says, does say a nice thing about Chazi, he says, Mikom Makom, Hoshemechabed Bikolo Hashem Hono, that being that this person does use his voice to give kavo to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, based on the gift which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has bestowed upon him that he could carry a tune and could uh, uh, hopefully uh, sing and read the words correctly. And he brings joy to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as well as the people who are in shul through his chazanus. So it may very well be that he's not considered to be, that the chazan is not Eved Lavadim because of the nature of his employment, which is Avodah Hashem. What? Right, so it, it, it would be an interesting thing to figure out exactly where yet yeah and where no. The so says, as far as being an apotropos, somebody becomes a legal guardian for a yasom, they're not allowed to quit. Once they're there, they're not allowed to quit, seemingly for this reason, because once you're, once you're, you're, the, the only allowance to quit would be and taking care of Yosomim is something which is there. And then the post can discuss, a shokhe nebodek, a gabai in the shul, somebody who would take care of those things. They also, the post can deal with that as a person who's also serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it wouldn't be such a stretch of the school, certainly if they have a towing, so that the school would certainly argue that, listen, being the secretary in the school so that the school should be able to run is something which is needed. It's no even than the Gabbai of Ashul, who needs, who's also involved in just running things and making sure that everything is going, uh, is going uh, properly. So you could argue that the allowance to quit would not extend to somebody who's working in a school, is making sure that the school is, uh, is running it. Or also, yeah, yeah. I mean, nowadays it's not because we get paid uh, for a lot of things which are not the Rabbanus. Psychology and uh, social work and all sorts of, uh, you know, yeah, all sorts of different things which are not... Right. Okay. So, th- so these are the issues which are w- which are there. So we have a bunch of issues which need to be addressed. She didn't start yet. But she didn't start yet. Uh, okay. 
So, or just signing the contract. But, but she did make a Kenyan. Yeah. She made a Kenyan. But, okay. Okay, so now, excellent. So now, this is where we see a little bit of the difference between Chosha Mishpat versus, uh, versus uh, Orchaim in Yeridea. Um, And Evid is hookah shukarko, so by karka you make a kenyan with a star. You're, bu- you're, bu- you're buying her time. Star riot or what? I don't think so. Okay, it says in the star there's a kenyan. The school got burned last year, so therefore they, they added language. That's how they, that's how they learn. So they, they add language to say that it's a, that, that's a star kingdom. Um, as I said, we'll change around the details just to make sure the Shiloh works. Even if it's a could be situmta. At the very least, it could be situmta. It would be worse than a situmta, yeah. like a handshake. What? <laughs> it depends on whether they had a school, whether a woman or a male. It could be a woman. Okay, so anyway, so in, in, in Or Chaim and Yeridea, very often, uh, 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 Rav, or the Posik, has no choice but to pask in a Shiloh. Right? You have to decide. You know, am I supposed to do it this way? Am I supposed to do it that way? To give the example that I always give is you have machlokas. Is, your, is the mezuzah supposed to be vertical? It's supposed to be horizontal? You can't say, you know what, be machma and put it, you know, <laughs> 90 degrees, all 90 degrees. Put 90 mezuzahs up at every uh, angle, and that way it'll be also, because that itself is an isidaris of Baltosif. So at some, point, at some point, you have to go ahead and you just have to pass in the Shiloh. You have to figure it out, pass in the Shiloh, and just hope that, uh, that, that you get it right. Chosha Mishpat, that's not the case. Chosha Mishpat, because of rule number one, uh, we already talked about rule number two of Chosha Mishpat. Rule number one of Chosha Mishpat is, Hamotzim Chavar Levaraya. So anybody with any experience of Chosh Mishpah knows that if I'm muhzuk, if I'm in possession of whatever the disputed thing is, you're claiming that it's mine, I don't have to say a word. I could just keep my mouth shut and say, it's mine, it's in my possession. If you claim that it's yours, you have to prove it. And part of proving it means that you have to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt. You can't just find a shita which says that you have the right to that and then say, I have a shita which says it's mine, therefore I'm going to take it from you. Because the chazaka that I have, that it's mine, that it's under my possession, that means that you have to give definitive proof, almost 100%, in order to be able to take this from me. So that's what Hamosim, that's the power of Hamosim Chavarela Varaya is. And over here we have the, the, the Shiloh would be, if we were to frame the Shiloh, so the school would say, we insist that you work because you signed a contract and whatever the reasons are. And she says, I maintain that I don't have to come to your thing and work. Who is in possession of her right now? She is. She's in possession. So she could just say, Kim Lee, Kim Lee, Kim Lee. So it doesn't matter, four or five, right? many times in our Chaim and Yerdea, Sveksveka, you can have all sorts of different things to go ahead and, uh, and make, you know, play around with halacha as it were, to, in order to be able to reach a conclusion. What? Yeah, and she'll say that I, I hold not like the Ritva, that a, that, that a Kenyan do, doesn't bind me. You know, I, I could be chosen on top of which you never even started, which, yeah. is, another, which is another thing on, on, on top of that. 
But all of these different things, all of these different arguments which can be formulated to say, you have to work, you have to work, you have to work, you have to work, as long as there exists a valid counter-argument, I don't have to work, 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 so then she just says, kimli, 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 most important phrase, before you teach your kids how to say anything else, just kimli, that's the, you know, shma Yisrael, Torah, Tziv, Alana, Moshe, kimli, that's the third thing that you go ahead and you teach them right off the bat, but as soon as they know that, so then it's impossible to go ahead and force her to go ahead and work. So that's what would end up being halachically. On top of that, we could also, along the lines of the Knesset Yechezkel, so there's one thing which I would like to suggest, you know, tell me whether you agree or not, and if you disagree, so then I don't want to hear it. And then the other thing is just a practical uh, consideration. So the one thing is, is that, and this is what they actually try and, and encounter, so I meant when the, the schools uh, adjust in real time based on how many times they get burned, is that everybody knows that when you hire a girl just out of seminary, and if she's a second year out of seminary, the likelihood that she's going to be there for the duration of the year diminishes every day that, uh, that goes by. Now, it doesn't always happen, but schools know that when they hire a girl just out of seminary, you don't know if she's going to be there by the end of the year. My son this year, you know, one of my uh, sons, you know, lost, uh, you know, two or three teachers over the course of the year, two or three mowers over the course of the year because they got engaged, they moved away, they, they do all sorts of things. And by and large, employers, certainly from employers in, in from areas, know that they're not really reliable employees because they're not going to be a long-term here. They try and make them sign and commit to be able to stay, that they're going to, they're going to stay for the entire year no matter what. But that's something which is, uh, which is something which is known. So along the lines of the Knesset Yechezkel, it may be that they understand the Chathile, even with the contract, that if she gets engaged and she's moving to Lakewood, she's moving to Lakewood. You're not going to be able to you know, chain her down and say, after your wedding, I don't care where your husband is learning, I don't care where he wants to learn, I don't care any of that. You're staying right here with us for the next six months because you signed the contract and we don't care that you're getting married. That would certainly be absurd. And there may be an understanding that they weren't really relying on her full term. They were just happy that they filled it for, the, for, for, the, for temporarily and, and, and hope for the best. So that's one svar. We take away Mechus the, the, the issue of Mechus in terms of whether it would be Mechus Right. And then the second thing is, is that, this is where we get to some of the practical things, is that, imagine that you are the employee, right, just put yourself in her shoes for a moment, and you had an opportunity to go ahead and work at a comparable job, plus you would get $20,000 of free college tuition. And instead, your employer insisted that you work there, and now you have student debts, and you have loans, and, you, and your parents are now have the burden of this $20,000 debt because of that. How good of an employee are you going to be during that year? Now, as much as you should try and get over that and get past that all of that, the resentment is something which would require somebody on the level of a Rabbi Salanter or something like that to not hold that against the school and not every day to be bitter. I can't believe that I'm sitting here in this office answering these silly phone calls and this is costing me $20,000. I'm losing out on $20,000 and the school for themselves, it's probably not wise for them to insist that she work there because she's really not going to be so dedicated. She's not going to be committed. And secretary is a very important job in a school. She's the face of the school. That's when the parents call and complain. She's the first line of defense, and you want her to be rah rah as far as the school is concerned. And if she's resentful, she's not going to be able to. Rep- she's, she's going to have a hard time overcoming that. And therefore, for themselves, it's probably not a wise thing that they should go ahead and they should uh, they should insist on that. But that's the practical element of the thing. That's not really a, a, a halacha consideration. But the school hopefully has enough seichel to recognize that and realize that this would not be wise of them to try and uh, exercise that. I don't know what the mice happened, but. I don't need to because it was a good child. Gave us 45 minutes of a, of a, of a shear. Karuma said that 
Tarumas in the event that we were to say that Muchos Ramana, so then maybe there'll be, uh, there, there could be. So Tarumas may be that Svara, which I said, that they know that uh, the girls don't stay long term. So therefore, they may also get rid of Tarumas. Uh, I have to look at that again. That, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you're looking at the Chavasir. You look over there. Uh, right, there, there are times that, but I don't know if over, over here that would uh, we would use that in terms of just a strict psak halacha. You know that uh, consider the fact that it's not in their best interest because she's not going to be a good employee. I don't know if that's strong, a strong enough consideration. How, how do I make it stop? What? Cut the cord. Step on it. It also works.